This is another episode. It's a mini-sode. Not a full episode. Miniature. Petite. Cute. Even. I like to think of podcast episodes as cute when they're shorter. I am uh, that corn-fed bitch, Selena. (laughs) For some reason, that just really resonated with me. And uh, it's also because I definitely, like, ate, like... Okay, so... Trader Joe's has these uh, cornbread biscottis, and I've really just gone to town on these. <laughs> and I was talking about it with one of my partners, and I was saying, oh, yeah, like, uh, you know, cornbread is my weakness. And he's like, why didn't you just say that you like cornbread? <laughs> like, why is it a weakness? <laughs> but um, so, yeah, that's where I am. And I'm joined by uh, Teddy. Hello. Our historian in chief. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so again, if you guys are not familiar with our mini-sodes, because we haven't had a lot of them, this is number three. They are these moments where we get to examine figures who have been misclassified as a variety of different things, uh, typically as uh, voluntary sex workers when they were not, in fact, that at all. So, this week we are diving into the life and times of uh, Esther from the Bible. From the Bible, from the Torah, from history. No, shaking your head. What do you say, Teddy? There's some argument about whether or not she's in the Torah and whether or not her book should be included canonically, but I want to get to that later. It's very historically very interesting already i already love this i already love that we have a departure right here (laughs) so like let's dive into this um so i thought we would start this episode with the definition of concubine and how that definition can be deceptive uh it is primarily used to describe a woman who lives with a man but has lower status than his wife or wives So as such, a concubine is often a sexual partner, especially a woman to whom one is not or cannot be married to. And historically, it has been used in reference to an enslaved girl or woman, sometimes kept in a harem, who is held for sexual service. Teddy, if you ever want to interrupt me, too, because I love watching the thoughts pass across your face. (laughs) And you know what, guys? Uh, Podcasting is not a visual medium, so you can't see these looks, but I see them. Uh, but feel free to interrupt me because I'd love to be interrupted. Okay. Um, on the definition of concubine, I think it's important to narrow down that in the case of Esther, we're talking about concubines in the academic period of <laughs> Persian history. And this part of Persian history is really fascinating because there's actually not a lot of unbiased sources on what was going on at this time. Most of our documents about specifically the position of women and the between wives and concubines, etc., either come from a set of tablets that were found in Persepolis, or what used to be Persepolis, because that's not a city anymore, or were written by the Greeks. But the thing to keep in mind here is the Greeks were intermittently at war (laughs) with the Achaemenid Empire. Yeah, I mean, there's endless ethnic tension between the Greeks and Persians, um, especially because, you know, the Greeks burned down Persepolis. They destroyed one of the most developed uh, scientifically and otherwise advanced cities uh, in the Middle East. So, fuck. (laughs) Therefore, our definitions of concubine, and especially concubine in this period and what that means, are constantly changing and constantly advancing as we like retranslate old words and 
look at it in context. And so what is also interesting is therefore um, the harem was a very, very private thing, typically only reserved for the noble whose harem it was. And of course the king had the biggest harem. Um, for example, what it's very, very disputed where Xerxes' harem was, but the building that's kind of been decided was more than likely his harem only had one very, very small entrance. Mm. Those very heavily guarded and so therefore because of this a lot of our conceptions around the harem are very very speculative because greeks typically weren't allowed to see it so then they would assume and make assumptions another interesting thing about a harem is just because you remember a harem did not make you a concubine a lot of women in harems were specifically there just to simply be musicians wine girls dancers entertainment and they lived in the harem with the concubine and so therefore when greek historians will for example go oh these kings had harems with a woman for every day of the year yeah there may have been 365 women in the harem i'm not disputing that but it wasn't <laughs> with 365 women yeah yeah i mean definitely as much as some some folk tales would love to say that certain kings were and i think that that reminds me of one that we covered a while ago, and I think it might have been related to Sechirpara. I, I could forget. But anyway, getting back to Esther. So yeah, it's it's not clear how much power you know concubines held, especially now Teddy's adding in the input that a lot of the data that we have is from the Greeks, and of course the Greeks aren't really going to know that much about Persian culture and the intimate details of of all of that social structure. So. We don't really know. Um, she's, you know, we can maybe guess she's often forced into work, but how much she control she has varies from having none to having a lot. Uh, and anyway, essentially, it's pretty broad and changes based on date, location, status, and so many other variables. We don't know. <laughs> um, so anyway, concubinage, like sex work, is as old as time. In fact, they appear in both the Old and New Testament if we're looking at biblical history, and honestly, likely before any of our testaments came to be. So, there are several famous biblical concubines, but one that stands out is the story of Esther. Also, I mean, whenever I was a kid, I learned about Esther and she was called a queen. So this is interesting to like look back on my personal, like, what I learned as a young Catholic child. Uh, a very adult stripper now, um, about queen slash concubine Esther. So the Persian king Xerxes, um, and I think, I think that there's another name for him. Was, was it, no, it wasn't Ahasuerus? It's, it's, uh, yeah, it's Ahasuerus. It's hypothesized that it was probably a stand-in for Xerxes, because Xerxes holding in Persian was asked to Xerxes, but like with all things, we just don't know. We don't know. Oh, another thing we don't know. So, uh, anyway, he was displeased with his wife, and we don't know why. I think it's yeah, this. Do we? She was naked. Uh, he got drunk at a party and asked her to appear naked in front of the party to show off how beautiful she was, and Vashti said no. And then he went, okay, no longer wife. Yeah, okay. Fuck you, beautiful bitch it's 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 so like that scenario of, of like men getting upset that you're like not doing the thing and then they're like you're so fucking beautiful you bitch like the the full reversal anyway so he had her killed um afterwards he made a degree in order to gather 
uh, to himself all suitable virgins in the region. And one of the women that was taken was Esther. Uh, and I actually don't know how old she was uh, whenever she was put in custody. She was a virgin. Do you know? Late teens. Late teens. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it was put in custody of Haggai, who was uh, had charge over the virgins. And I'm actually seeing, like, there are a couple other names for this person. Like, I saw in uh, the wiki that the... It's not Haman. It's a Vash, not Vashti. Anyway, I don't know. Uh, maybe it was maybe it was actually Haggai, who Haggai who was in charge of the virgins. Anyway, so she had no choice whether or not she became a concubine. She was young. She was pretty, and she was snatched up. So there was a year long process for the virgin to be quote unquote prepared for the king, uh, and then when it was her time, she would go in. There are so many air quotes because it's super vague. Um, In the evening and in the morning, she would return to the second harem in custody of Shashkaz, uh, the king's eunuch, who was in charge of the concubines. And she would not go to see the king again unless the king summoned her by name. So no other man could be uh, the the husbands of these concubines, and uh, they may never see the king the king again unless he was quote pleased with them. So when uh, Mordecai learned of the king uh, the king's advisor's plot to annihilate all of the Jewish people, Esther decided to or oh, well sorry he asked Mordecai asked Esther to throw herself before the king and beg for mercy on behalf of her people. And Esther knew that anyone who approached the king without first being summoned was probably going to be murdered. I mean, it didn't really take much for Vashti to be murdered, to be real. And she's not even, she didn't ask for him to like spare a whole group of people. She just didn't want to get naked. So Esther was like, I don't know, unless the king is in the mood uh, to extend his scepter and spare their life. I don't know. But anyway, so she went to the king rather than immediately beg, and instead invited him to a feast with his advisor. And it is taught that she did this in order to manipulate the king. That's, I don't know, to appeal for his favor maybe is a better wording, but, you know, I don't feel like there's manipulation in this situation. But anyway, she knew the king would be curious as to why she would risk her life for such an invitation, when there were less lethal ways for her to do so. So, at the feast, she asked the king uh, what he would do if he knew of a plot to kill her. She then revealed that she was Jewish and that his advisors planned genocide that included her. Although the king uh, could not rescind the order, it did enable the Jewish people to fight back and not be wiped out. So basically, although Esther is often called queen, it would be more apt to call her a concubine. She was forced into... Ooh, what were you going to say? Depending on the version, he marries her. Depending on the version. Yeah, they're different. There are a couple where, if you look at the biblical canon, she becomes, like, lead concubine, and then he marries her. And there are others where she remains a concubine the whole time, intriguingly. Huh. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, well, yeah, so... She was kind of forced yeah. to, She did what she had to do to survive, and uh, that's essentially, be, you know, going to sex work at the service of the king. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, she stepped in to 
ensure the survival or her community's survival. So yeah, that's kind of Esther in a nutshell. And I would love to hear your notes because there were certain moments where I saw a finger come up. <laughs> and I, I kept like checking in. I was like, what is Teddy going to say? I don't know. <laughs> Are my facts straight? <laughs> I just have so many notes because I think the story of Esther is so fascinating, both in its telling and its interpretations and the way it has boiled down in different Abrahamic canons. It's such it's such a fun book, and I'm so glad you picked her, because technically, theologically, historically, one of the most controversial books in its inclusion in the Bible. And so we're going to talk about why. Um, yes. So what's fascinating about Esther is that Esther becomes a woman who initially is kind of trapped in the plots of multiple men, because the reason that Haman wants to kill all Jewish people is because her cousin Mordecai saved the king's life mm-hmm. by informing him of the plot, and Haman did not like that. And so um, Esther, during her time with the king, reminded him of you know Mordecai saving his life, and um, the king got Haman to like lead Mordecai on a horse through the city, saying this is what happens to those who are favored by the king, which only drew Haman's hatred of. Mordecai more, which lets him asking the kid, the king to um, get, allow him to give the order to kill all Jewish people. Um, and so therefore, through that, what's interesting is that Mordecai comes to Esther first and Esther goes, no, 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 let me work this out the way I'm going to work this out. And mm-hmm. Trust me, it's going to work. And so she not only carries favor, she reminds the king of the fact that uh, her cousin saved his life. And it's interesting that she also framed it in the framework of it being like, well, it's also a plot against me. Mm-hmm. Doubly thinking that technically when the king never didn't rescind the order, he just gave the order that Jewish people were allowed to defend themselves. And then that's what led to fear of Jewish people. Well, we're not going to be massacred. And then they killed everybody coming for them. And in some cities, they're allowed two days to defend themselves, according to the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, wild. They get two days. Go for it. Try and survive. Then what's fascinating that comes from that is the way that Esther has been interpreted through most canons, because, of course, Purim is a Jewish holiday. Um, Yeah, so just for clarification, Purim is the the Jewish holiday celebrating uh, Esther's, you know, saving of the Jewish people, kind of. Mm Mm-hmm. And so what's interesting is, like, um, in my research, I found that Persian Jews will occasionally refer to themselves as children of Esther. Hmm. Uh, The Book of Esther took a couple rounds to be included into the Catholic canon. It took, uh, because, as we know, they just had a bunch of meetings in Rome, and they went, well, this book. We'll throw it in. (laughs) We'll put it in. But she is a saint in Eastern and Coptic Orthodox, but she's not a saint Roman Catholicism. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. What's really fascinating about it, and the reason I want historically people get in about the book of Esther, is that at least in most other biblical books, books in the Torah and books in the Quran, even though Esther's not in the Quran, but there is like some basis that you can go like, oh no, this was a place, this was an event, this wasn't a person. We can really link it together. There is very wiggly basis for the story of Esther 
because one of the logics that historians use is that typically Persian kings, at least kings of the Achaemenid period, did not marry outside of the seven noble families of mm. Persia. But then that is another reason people give for it being about Xerxes, because Xerxes' wife was outside of the seven noble families. And I think one other king, Darius I, also married out of the seven noble families. Also, incredibly fascinating, the original version of the story doesn't reference God. Hmm. And that people doubt it it being canon because there are no references to god in the mm. original version in the original hebrew version in the greek retellings of the hebrew version and so that is what led to the doubts about its canonical inclusion in holy books is that while there's stuff that happens that's a little bit mystical there's a point where the king is like i want to read about all the great deeds that have been recorded in this book and the book flips open to the page about mordecai saving his life there are no direct references to like god at all it's really just it's yeah so it's likely just like esther's doing yeah she just she happened to be the wind that opened the book (laughs) she was outside like (laughs) getting them to flap but i think it's uh it's such a fascinating biblical book it's especially really fascinating if you look at the fact that no one can seem to decide whether they were married or not but them being whether or not Esther was queen really uh, recontextualizes or adds weight to a lot of her power. Because from what we know about the Achaemenid period through like historical records, wives, especially wives of nobles, were doing a lot of stuff. They were very rigorously educated. Some of them like learned archery and horsemanship, but at the very least we know that you could know you could appear in public, you could travel. A lot of these women had independent wealth and owned property separately of their husband. And we know this from financial records of them paying rent on their property hmm. separately under their own names. And so um, for the king, it was a hierarchical system with like his mother at the top and then the wife and then his other wives and then his queen. And then his other wives. <laughs> concubines. And of course, the biggest benefit, I think we discussed this in terms of Hallie, Sally Hemings, the biggest benefit of being a queen versus being a concubine was the legitimacy of your children. Because uh, people had a lot of children with their concubines. Xerxes the first had one legitimate child and 18 illegitimate children. Xerxes the second had three legitimate child and 150 non-legitimate children. As many as 150. We don't know the exact number, but we assume around that many. And so, therefore, that was kind of a lot of the main basis. So, if Esther was his queen, she would have had a lot more, like, leverage and work and a lot more power mm-hmm. versus his favorite concubine, which I find very interesting. That is interesting. So, it may not have been, like, as big a deal for her to walk in on a, the king generally to say something if she was a queen but if she was a concubine there's so much more weight and like oh shit that could go very wrong mm-hmm. because she was not supposed to approach the queen concubines are there the king concubines are there for the leisure and entertainment of the king and the court wow so cool well i love this uh contextualization and this is super interesting just like reconsidering Esther and reconsidering it as a holy book, like when it may not have had any God involved at all. (laughs) I mean, it's like, isn't that the, that's like the only book in the Bible that is a a woman, right? Unless there's like, is there a book of Ruth? I forget. Ruth? 
Yeah. Ruth has a book. Ruth and Esther, the only the only ladies who get their own books in the Bible. <laughs> you know, as it goes. Yeah. As it is. As it is. But uh that's really cool. Thank you uh for for giving us the context. Hey everyone, I am back at it again. It is tarot time. Tarot time. Um in Clover's Corner. truly clover here for a love reading for my fire signs so aries leo sag sun moon rising i'm splitting them up this time because i feel like it so i'm gonna start with aries because aries comes first so it looks as though basically there's a lot of uncertainty surrounding this situation that's in your life I'm seeing that it's already something that's been unfolding, but it's going to cycle into the next phase pretty soon. And this period of time is just sort of, well, basically it kind of starts out with this internal conflict surrounding this King of Pentacles energy. So like this could be an earth sign or someone who embodies earthly traits. They're coming in with some sort of offer and it's like pretty stable it's very like earthy they want to like kind of build something with you whatever it looks like it's exactly what you want and you know that you want it but also there's this level of skepticism because when you look back on your past you remember sort of all of the pain that has happened for you um and this could be with this person or it could be just sort of like not being over a breakup but i am seeing this as related actually to um this person and also someone else that they were involved with that you weren't completely aware of and it could have been um potentially an ex or maybe just like someone that they were dating simultaneously and maybe they um, made that person like their priority over you and you just don't know whether you should like go back in on that because maybe that could happen again so I just see that this month is kind of reflecting over everything that happened and especially where you are currently and whether or not you should return to the situation but it's definitely strongly coming in as someone from the past and i would say that i would also treat this skeptically especially if it's a virgo no offense but like also just that as long as you're kind of strong within yourself and kind of have established that um this person is more just like an added bonus to your life rather than something that will like be like completely shaking everything up for you like you don't need to be in the ten of swords if they do leave again and you also don't need to like close your heart to them or be like not trusting it, you can kind of have it all and it's just all about like finding that in your introspection which I see this month being kind of like heavily about so moving on for Leo um it looks as though this situation that you are trying to revive yeah, there is past energy again, but in this situation, you all were, like, somewhat serious 
is what I'm getting and it ended pretty badly with heartbreak there was a whole tower moment um so a lot of upheaval chaos destruction to your life and it was kind of based around insecurity and I see that still as an issue this could be financial or it could also be material or um, just like within yourselves so when it comes to rebuilding the situation there's a lot of like closed heart space and blocked intuition and still being in this feeling of loss, there's uncertainty about whether or not this is worth picking back up. But overall, there's just this karma between the two of you. You may be dealing with a water sign is the energy that I'm getting, also Earth. So um, yeah, but you all have karma that you need to sort out. So this person is coming back in regardless. <laughs> And additionally, it does kind of come across where potentially they were a little bit manipulative and maybe didn't treat you properly. They could have been uh, bringing you down or tying you to them um, in some sort of way that's really unhealthy and like not productive, not conducive to a relationship. That's for some of you, but for others, I do see that you just have, like, general karma, which could just be, like, lessons that you need to, like, learn with each other, which isn't always a bad thing either and can just, like, sort itself out in, like, a not super disruptive way. But basically, you're trying to rebalance yourself and, like, come into clarity because currently you're kind of, like, disillusioned, emotional, and not sure at all of like what you want but the underlying energy is pretty good there's temperance so it's once again about tempering your emotions finding your happiness reopening your heart and eventually coming into this relationship i mean it does look like it's just going to turn out but there's just this sort of like final hard place which i mean it makes sense because you know mars is retrograde so this is the time of inaction and it's a reflective time so keep doing that much love moving on to sagittarius um so there's a lot of boredom and also uh like kind of being staying up all night is something i'm getting <coughs> or staying up really late just being kind of like unmoving at this point in time and reflecting there's an offer that you're not really interested in um honestly all of the fire signs have a similar energy like i got this for everyone but it's just sort of like not being sure about like this particular offer and having sort of an internal conflict about it like it's actually causing a lot of conflict but this person's coming in very clearly and strongly and um stably like it's just like this is this and like we should just like go for it this could be a fire sign like another fire sign i'm kind of getting you aren't sure what you want in this situation and it, because it's not super enticing to you it's just sort of like 
Well, I have so many different options. I'm getting that you're a person that has a lot of different options and none of them appeal to you, but this one that has come in is the one that's just like the most like real and stable, which is kind of what you're in the mood for at this point where like you're a little bit tired of just sort of this like thank you next, 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 thank you next cut type of energy. And you just want to have something that's very like stable. So this does seem a little bit better to you, but it's just sort of like there's something about this point in time where you just feel like maybe right now isn't the time for a relationship. There's a lot that you have to deal with within and it looks as though you've come out of like a dark phase of your life um, or you're, you're, you're pulling out of it in this time. And it's requiring a lot of work from you, so you don't exactly have a lot of energy to be putting into another person. And so it's kind of something that you're thinking about in the future, but it's just sort of a draining prospect is all I can really see. Um, so nothing really exciting for your love life right now, but honestly, that's just sort of who even needs it. <laughs> What else am I getting? I think it's also sort of looking as though, um, yeah, there's some sort of karmic tie that you have with this person, though. So whatever that may be, you may end up resolving it in the coming weeks, but it's not going to be really fun, I'm getting. But it's going to help you grow a lot and you're going to become very strong. And this relationship might even bring career success. So um, if you do involve yourself with this person, it could end up just being really good for you. But, um, so thank you, Fire Signs. And um, I hope you all enjoy the rest of this podcast. Love you. And if you want a personal reading, I'm at little underscore four leaf. The four is a numeral. So I'll talk to you all in a while. <laughs> Bye. That's all for me. Thanks for listening. Teddy, where can we find you? You can find me on Instagram at Teddy B. Period Rexpin. And that's honestly pretty much it. Awesome. Perfect. Um, I'm Selena the Stripper. You can find me on Instagram at Pretty Boy Girl. You can support uh, Home in the Know at Home in the Know on Instagram. And you could uh, check out my Patreon at The Real Pretty Boy Girl. Thank you so much. Bye bye. More money. I want your money. I want more money. 